Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Shooting Stars World Cup podcast from a few different locations this time around. I'm Stuart Marshall and I'm in Melbourne. Bryce and Alex Grant are in Perth. Hello, boys. Hello. Hello. I'm Alex Grant we? and I'm in Perth. Yes, you are, mate. How are you, Alex? How's training been going, mate? Yeah, it's been really good, mate. Really enjoying it. Back into things. Uh, it's been pretty full on the last couple of weeks, but I'm really enjoying it. Feeling fit, feeling good, I bet. But yep. we'll get into the World Cup. Obviously, knockout rounds now, lads. There's been plenty of happening. Uh, the biggest news over the past few days is obviously now Spain and Germany are the two teams, two biggest teams knocked out of the World Cup. What are your initial takes or initial reaction on them two not being in the World Cup, Bryce? We'll start with you. Um, look, I think it's it's been extremely interesting. I mean, we've got Spain are knocked out now. Another top heavyweight European dogs are out. I just think this World Cup, seriously got everything so far plenty of upsets but um yeah no, i'm really enjoying it to be honest what about you al yeah it's fantastic oh i can't i'm so happy the germans are gone hey <laughs> oh mate come on mate, it's fantastic look they've not performed yeah, after this world cup they've been very poor um probably didn't deserve to get through the group so it was it was fair enough and i watched the i watched the career game and it was really good i think that's one thing the the big teams have really struggled to um to go forward an attack um, with real intent this this tournament. They've um, they've tried to keep possession of the ball and try to break teams Dom- down. But dominate not, the play yeah, that way. It's not worked because teams can defend, and we've said it before. It's just it's not working, and I think that's another yeah. thing that Spain struggled with last night. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Against Russia, they they keep the ball and it looks nice, but when there's when the opportunity is there to attack, they've got to take it. Hmm. Yeah, there's no, no real no. creativity or spark there. It's just kind of keepy offs for about almost 90 minutes, and there was no one. I think Isco for me was like the only player trying to trying to create something up top in that final third, but they just couldn't penetrate. I think Russia were very disciplined at the back. They did very well, to be honest. Yes. So last night was uh, Spain versus Russia in the round of 16, and Spain unfortunately lost to Russia on penalties. Alex, you watched the whole game. What was the shootout like? And I suppose what are the biggest takeaways? And I mean, how did Russia play? No one really considered them, including Bryce, to get for them to get this far. <laughs> well, like I said, the, um, the the Spain have been good at keeping the ball the whole tournament. They probably play the most attractive football um, out of any of the teams. I'd say in the in the in the comp, and they they just couldn't break Russia down in the first half. They got the goal. It was. Um, a free kick um, that Zhirkov gave away um, over on the right-hand side and the ball was put into the box and it was almost Harry, Harry Kane-esque as the defender fouls uh, Ramos and tried to pull him down and wrestle him and we've seen a lot of that from set pieces in the World Cup and some of them have been picked up and some of them haven't and um, it actually came off the, uh, off the defender's heel and Ramos obviously claimed it, the person he is. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, a bit of a nightmare, the defender there. Yeah, he did. It hit the back of his heel and then went in. Uh, it was a bit of a fluky goal, but Spain probably deserved it um, early in the early stages. Um, and then we saw a, a crazy handball from Gerard Piquet just before hard, half-time uh, mm. where the, the Russian striker has gone ahead the ball towards goal and Piquet was lazy because he jumped up with his arms in the air with his back to play. And it's hit his hand, and we've seen it as well. This, this World Cup, seen it a few where, times, huh? yeah. yeah if, the, if the ball hits, hits you on the hand, and your hand's in an um, 
yeah, away from the body. Yeah, that's it. You're going to get done. So No matter um, what now, yeah. yeah. Mm. Spain, Spain turned it on again in the second half. You could tell they came out with a lot of intent. And um, the Russian keeper was immense. He pulled off some great yeah. saves. Um, well, how do we rate Spain's tournament now, considering the start they had with their manager leaving and all that sort of stuff? The turmoil at the start that was surrounding them at the start of the season, do we consider this World Cup a success from a Spain perspective, Bryce? I don't think you can say it's a success. Definitely not. Um, as much as, I mean, they didn't escape the group stages in the last World Cup after winning it in 2010. So, I mean, they have <laughs> they've gotten better and got into the round of 16, but... You, you got to expect from a Spanish point of view, uh, manager fiasco aside, you should be beating Russia. Um, and yeah, I just, I just feel like even from that Portugal game, the defending was quite poor from them. Um, no, I definitely, definitely not a success for me. And I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who um, takes over as their coach now, to be honest. I think Hiero did a good job inspiring the players and riling them up in, in those circumstances. But yeah, I don't think he's, he's really done enough to warrant getting the gig full time. Yeah, okay. Let's hope it's not anyone like Rafa Benitez from Newcastle or anyone like that. The other game last night... you've got to keep him there, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) The other game last night was Croatia-Denmark and Croatia walked the tightrope for the entirety of that match and had a chance to win it in the 120th minute with the uh, Luka Modric penalty. But Kasper Schmeichel doing what he does best, uh, saving that penalty... However, they did get through on penalties in the end. Did, uh, what do we take out of that game, guys? Denmark a bit stiff to not, not get through or Croatia just too good? I think it kind of seemed like a similar game to the Spain-Russia game in terms of Croatia dominating possession and Denmark being quite resolute. Um, I think they were quite fortunate with the open. I think Subasic, the Croatian goalkeeper, should have done better um, for the opening goal. It was very out of character for him. I found he's usually a very reliable goalkeeper. Um but I thought Croatia, I mean, they looked real flamey during their group stage. So I was surprised they didn't win this kind of comfortably. But apparently Schmeichel in the penalty shootouts is one of few fans showing a lot of heart and ticker and a bit of passion. But yeah, I yeah. don't know. What, what do you think of the, What do you think of the highlights, Granty? Well, you you say you say you're surprised that Croatia didn't dominate. But if you look at Denmark's record, they've only conceded one goal before this game, and that was against that was a penalty against Australia. So. Defensively. Yeah, defensively, yeah. They've been sound, so you, mm. you, for them, for, for us to expect Croatia to, to pump them, I mean, I think that's a bit harsh on Denmark. Um, we've not obviously seen them, uh, their attacking forces um, flourish yet, but um, obviously we didn't see it again last night, although they did take an early lead, which was a bit of a scabby goal, but, you know. <laughs> um, Schmeichel's penalty save was, was good, and... It was great to see Peter Schmeichel's reaction in the stands as well. He was yeah, happy. yeah, no, that's brilliant. That isn't he, it. He was buzzing money for his lads, so that that was good. But yeah, obviously they just couldn't get over the line, and that's it. When it comes to penalty shootouts, it's just who's got the bottle, who's got who's going to grow a pair of kahunas and take it by the keep his guessing the right you know, way. And that's it. And I think when it goes to penalties, anyone can win. It doesn't matter. It's all it's all mental then from there because yeah, it becomes a level playing field. 100%. And that's like, well, we've seen Spain go out as well. So it was actually, it was good, I thought, to see a couple of penalty shootouts early doors. It was good. Oh, for sure. Adds so much drama to it. And I just think, I think the reason I expected Croatia to do, will probably dominate or win it a bit more comfortably was because that 3-0 result against Argentina, it looked like attackingly they had it really sorted out. But maybe that just goes to show how vulnerable Argentina were at the back. And I mean, they conceded four again in their round of 16 game, but we'll get on to that later. 
Yes, we'll, we'll move on to that now, actually. Yeah. The two games from Saturday were Uruguay, uh, Portugal, France, Argentina. Uruguay beat Portugal 2-1 and France beat Argentina 4-3 in probably the game of the tournament oh, so far. With probably the two, game. With the two best goals of the tournament, I would say. We'll start with that one because it's... It was so exciting. I'll go to you, Alex. What did you make of Kylian Mbappe? I think he truly is the golden boy of world and football. Of world football. The, the boy's on flames. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I thought everyone goes on about how quick he is. And I was like, yeah, look, he's got a reputation for being quick. And then that first goal, the penalty they won, early door, oh, he, he absolutely burnt uh, Mascherano. I was like, Mascherano's got a parachute on or something like that. The guy's towing. <laughs> and look, he's not the quickest, but he looked like he was towing a caravan compared to compared to Mbappe. He's like lightning, mate. And he's, his finishing yeah. was pretty decent as well in the game. Oh, no, for sure. I thought he was very composed with his finishing. I mean, yeah. especially for his second goal, taking it on first time. And like Mbappe was, I mean, we all knew him going into the tournament. So it's not a secret or anything. I mean, he's one of the best young talents in the world, no doubt. But I feel like this performance on such a big stage really hammered home the point that it's just inevitable that this lad's going to be the, one of the world's best in the coming years. It's scary. It's scary. It's scary that we're talking about like Arzani lightening up Australia's um, World Cup campaign and him being the bright spark. And and, and no disrespect to, to Arzani because he is a fantastic player. But um, you're looking at Mbappe and he's he's 19 years old, you know, and that's just. The it's another level, isn't it? it? It is just just another level. It's absolutely crazy. Scary. Yeah, and best thing best thing about Mbappe for me, he just seems like a level-headed guy as well, especially at that age, so young and being so successful. He donates all his match wages, his match wages rather, um, for France to charity because he says playing for France is an honour enough. So I think that's very refreshing to hear and I'm definitely a huge fan of the bloke. Yeah, no, and he's uh, there's funny images, uh, photos that come out of Mbappe, obviously idolizing Ronaldo and whatnot. Oh, and brilliant! All, yeah, had all the posters of Cristiano Ronaldo up in his bedroom back when he was, you know, six years ago when he was only thirteen. So, yeah, Kylian Mbappe definitely has announced himself, and he probably will be up there with the best players over the next ten years, no doubt about it. But another goal in that game, I thought was excellent, was the Benjamin Pavard goal, the right back. Oh, mate. That was that was absolute, oh, mate. Mate, he's not, mate. The guy's not from France. He's from Czechoslovakia. That's where he's from. That goal, <laughs> that goal, that goal was unbelievable, mate. Mate, that was just that's that my was, favorite so far, guys. Honestly, yeah. just, that was just a bit out of nowhere. That goal, he sort outrageous. of just, just sort of stepped in and uh, really put his foot through it. Just a, um, one of those that technique to go like side on volley and kind of cut across, and you could see it with that like outside swerve going in the goals and it was top bins as well yeah. from a guy that not a lot of people had heard of um, prior to the World Cup. And I mean, yeah, what a belter. That's my favourite goal so Mate, far this World Cup. It's a work of art. It belongs in the Louvre, I'm oh, telling you. It's just... Genuinely. Oh, belongs sure, got to get a little... <laughs> That's it, for sure. All right, another work of art was Angel Di Maria uh, yeah. smashing in. I was saying before this match, the France-Argentina match, that we hadn't really had an outside-of-the-box belter yet in this World Cup. Yeah, no, and I Di Maria, Di Maria sort of stepped up and just put his foot through the ball and absolutely creamed it. Top corner, and it was yeah, it was one of the best things I... Uh, one of the best goals I'd ever seen, really. Just in a World Cup in the context, it was so good. What do you reckon about that one, Bryce? Well, yeah, I mean, an, an absolute belt from Jermaine. We know he's got it in his locker, but he hadn't really shown it so far. So it was good to see him hit his straps, but... 
that was the um, the longest distance for a goal at this World Cup so far. It's just about around 30-odd yards. So, I mean, to beat a, a keeper, I mean, if Hugo Lloris' stature from that distance takes some hit and he just he buried it. Mm, absolutely. I'll, and uh, I'll go on, Al. I th- I just, yeah, they were clinical fronts, weren't they? I mean, they only had yeah. four, shots, four shots on target the whole game, four goals. So, I mean, that says it all. Absolutely. Uh, so Lionel Messi had a relatively quiet game. Um, there was, you know, a bit of talk about his role in the team, and obviously we mentioned it on the podcast. Him sort of looking like he was trying too hard, and it just sort of didn't work out for him in that match, which is a bit of a shame uh, for Messi. But his greatest rival, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, also bowed out in the round of sixteen against Uruguay. Off so pop, the Ronnie. two best players in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so Ronnie's gone. Bye bye. Um, so two goals from Edison Cavani put Uruguay into the quarterfinals and obviously ended Ronaldo's tournament. What do we take out of this game? Uruguay, do they have what it takes to get very deep into this tournament, Al? I think they do. I thought, you know what was so funny though? The Cavani's face must have been sore for the rest of that game because that first goal has absolutely spanked his lid right on the dial, <laughs> right on the <laughs> dial and he's... <laughs> I watched the replay and I was like, that must have hurt. Eh? But when you're in the moment, you just kind of get on with it and then celebrate. But it was some ball from Suarez. And I think... Oh, fantastic. I think with those two up there, I think, I think Uruguay can go all the way. They, them two together are such a threat um, for any defence. And I think mm. they could lead, uh, lead Uruguay all the way for sure. I Yeah, I completely agree. I think... I mean, Uruguay's one of been one of they've got a population of three million and they always bat above their average. And I just think this is another example of them just showing how actually good and deep their talent is because and I think defensively they're one of the most impressive. I mean, they didn't concede a goal in group stages. This is the first goal they conceded so far in the tournament. And you've got Godin and Jimenez at the back playing and they're just it's just they're phenomenal at the back. I mean, Jimenez and Gurdjieff are teammates at Atletico Madrid, so they've got that chemistry between them. I mean, Jimenez yeah. being the younger talent and Gurdjieff being obviously the experienced bull, but no, I think they, these guys are a red-hot chance. I mean, they've got that Suarez and Cavani up top, unbelievable. And then you've got those two at the back holding things down. I just think they're, they're a great squad. Can I just add, can I just add as well that We've got to hear the longest uh, national anthem in the World Cup. Oh. In the world now. How many verses is it? Once again, I'm not actually sure, but it is the longest in the world. So there you go. Get the popcorn out for it. <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, yes, we'll be hearing it uh, definitely in the uh, quarterfinals. But a lot of tipping Uruguay to go far based on their performance. And they sort of easily dispatched Portugal or, or dispatched Portugal rather. And I guess from a Portugal perspective, Ronaldo, you know, didn't have the best of games in Portugal, you know, aren't really that good of a team. In all, in all honesty, they've well, got to the round of 16, but that's where I know I tipped them to get knocked out at the round of 16. Bryce, what about you, mate? Yeah, mate. Just look at my bracket now. I've I've always thought Portugal were poor. Even when they won Euros, I was disgusted because I just never thought they played nice football. I mean, it worked in tournaments and it worked up until that point, but I'm just really glad that, that type of negative football Um isn't being rewarded at this World Cup. Yeah, I'm glad no. Uruguay got the win. I think they deserve it wholeheartedly. Yes, absolutely. So, Plus, when you're going home being a bit flat, is, I mean, always quite pleasing for me, to be honest. I think they've, they've, <laughs> no, they've relied on Ronaldo so much this tournament. And um, if you look at his 
his World Cup record. He's played 514 minutes in the knockout stages and he's failed to score or provide an assist. So when he doesn't turn up, Portugal are in trouble. Jeez, that is a... Did not expect that stat. Far yeah. out. He's usually the most clutch guy going around. That's yeah, yeah that's pretty know. damning for them. So definitely the uh, the definition of a one man team. No doubt about that. No okay, doubt. the games the games tonight. We'll just give a quick gloss over these ones. Uh, Brazil, Mexico, uh, ten o'clock Western Standard Time, and then Belgium, Japan, two a.m. Western Standard Time. Um, quick predictions for these two matches, Bryce. Uh, I'm going to go. 2-1 to Brazil over Mexico. I, I tipped Brazil to win the World Cup at the very start and I got quite nervous about it, but hopefully they can find some better form. I think Mexico were really poor in their last group stage match. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll be, I think it'll be quite an interesting game. A lot of, a lot of flair in between those two sides, but yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 for Brazil. Al? I'm going to say Mexico win, 2-1. And a Belgium extra time win. Ooh, interesting. Well, so Mexico to beat Brazil in 90 minutes. Yep. Yeah, okay. All right. Now I'm going to go Brazil Brazil 1-0 and Belgium 2-0, I reckon. So Yeah, actually, I've got to, yeah, for Belgium, I'm going to I'm going to say two yeah, 2-0, two 2-0. Nil, two nil. I think Japan were I mean, they got in because they had they were better behaved than Senegal. So they were very fortunate to get through the, uh, the group stages and I just think Belgium will be too classy for them. Okay, so now you uh... sw- swallowed a parrot, Bryce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I was going to go the 3-0, but I just, yeah, I just... No, no, no. no Good, prediction, just a... Good prediction, Stu. Good prediction. Get your own prediction, mate. But it's yeah, interesting look. you brought up... <laughs> it's interesting you brought up the um, the fair, pray, fair play ruling. Um or the fair play rule that which saw Japan get through. Um, and Senegal have now officially asked FIFA to reconsider that rule after Japan's negative play. So it hasn't really gone down well, which I guess is understandable. What do you make of that? Is that, you know, FIFA put that uh, rule in place before the start of the World Cup, all the teams sort of knew it. You can't really yeah. go around complaining if you get knocked out on that, can you? No, rules are rules. I knew it before the tournament. I think if, if it hadn't happened to them, they wouldn't be complaining, would they? So... But I think it is saying that it is an extremely harsh way to go out. Um, and I feel for Senegal. I think they were fantastic this tournament. So it's, um, yeah, a bit of a shame not to see them in there and it's a shame how they went out. Al, what do you reckon? Um, like Bryce said, they're the rules. Um, don't give away yellow cards at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, behave, I, I, lads, behave. I personally, yeah. don't, I personally don't mind the rule. Let's, like, what do you think of the actual rule itself? Do you... Do you agree with the the yellow card rule or the fair play ruling? Would I, you like to see it implemented in other tournaments, or do you think it will be? I think that it's it should encourage people not giving away dumb yellow cards in terms of you know mouthing off to referees and stuff like that, and more cynical fouls. I know you're going to put a foot in and put some good tackles, and you may get a yellow card there. That's fair. That's fine. But I think it I think it might help to discourage that kind of nonsense that people kind of get on with with the referees in in football so hopefully that's what it actually does i don't know what do you what do you think grant i just i just think what's the other alternative do you get the lads down for a little five-a-side tournament or something like that at the end of the group <laughs> or penny shoot out do, do you know what i mean so i think yeah. it's it's reasonable they've, they've come up with a solution and it's probably the easiest route to go down so i think you can't really change it it's i think it's quite a good rule so, yeah it's uh, Easy to enforce, and it's. I think it's. It has that positive of trying to encourage people to, you know, be like behave better on the pitch, which is ultimately helps everyone because it 
it disturbs the flow if you're doing these tackles and getting these yellow cards. So I think I think it is actually not too bad. Oh, I completely agree with you, Bryce. I think it's um, a very worthwhile rule and I think it should should stay in. I think it promotes good play and all that sort of stuff. Jeez, so we're agreeing on a lot today. I'm agreeing on your scores. We're agreeing on this. Jeez, aren't we one happy family? <laughs> well, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, and obviously, it's been the group stage has finished a few days ago now, but we're going to touch on Germany uh, being eliminated Ooh. from the World Cup. And it's the first time they're out of the group stages in a major tournament. This is 1938, and they're the fourth reigning champions at a World Cup to bow out in the last five tournaments at the group stages. And Bryce, you've, you've written a note here that says it's a witch's curse. Yes, I'm going with it's a witch's curse for those those teams that are the reigning champs. There just seems to be that. I just, they just can't crack it recently. Um, so, in other words, so in other words, England have got no chance in Qatar. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's coming home and then Qatar's just going to be a catastrophe. It's going to be too hot and they're going to get knocked out in the group stages. But just this, this Germany thing, like for me, that's the upset of the tournament for sure. I think that goes without saying. Would you guys agree on that? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, they're just, they're, yeah, they finished <clears throat> bottom of the group. Like that is outrageous. Yeah, a bit oh. like the Socceroos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People tweeting out, but like, it's okay. We know how it feels. Just being patronizing yeah, yeah. as anything. But just, yeah. It's funny. You're gone. It's it's funny with the the Germany um, situation. They had so much turmoil before the start of the World Cup, and similar to Spain, there was you know a lot surrounding, a lot of talk surrounding the team, and we sort of yeah. touched on it in the early episodes of the podcast about them not um, having the best build up, and it's clearly come back to bite them in a way. With Spain has sort of done well to block it out and yeah. have sort of continue to play, but Germany sort of couldn't really block it out, or it it appears to have affected them on the pitch a bit too much, Bryce. Yeah, I just I don't think. Joachim Löw knew, knew his best 11, I think, is, um, you know, the playing around with Goretzka going on and not starting in the last couple of games. And then Muller was dropped for the first time for a, a long time. It was weird seeing Germany without Muller up top. Um, and I just think Ozil's body language in that game was horrendous. I know it kind of usually is, but it just really bothered me that game and he seemed to really lose his bottle there. But I think one of the biggest disappointments has to be um, Timo Werner up front. I just felt like he he did nothing this tournament. Yeah, how? Yeah, he was one of the players we tipped, kind of, or we said we mentioned him when we were predicting the golden boy and thought he might perform. Um, yeah, he did. He, I don't know. He just looked. He, he looked like he lacked that international experience that was going to get him over the line. I thought he was pretty rash and um, was almost trying to force the ball in the goal at times with some of the chances he was trying to take. Yeah, it was strange. Strangely, they didn't start Muller in the last game, one of your most experienced players. Um, but, look, they, they, had, they had chances to beat Korea, without a doubt. They've not performed yeah. over the course of the tournament as well as they would have liked. You would have expected them to still get something out of that game and get through, but obviously Sweden won in the other game, so they had to win. Um, and it just wasn't to be, but like it was great to see another another big team go out yes absolutely and I guess now Germany going out Sweden has set up to play Switzerland in their round of 16 match on Tuesday night Western Standard Time and on the same night that night Colombia will play England in uh, at 2am Western Standard Time on Wednesday July 4th and we'll touch on England here massive game obviously the the mass rotation in their final group stage match against Belgium 
we uh, we said we didn't want to see it, but I suppose Belgium and England both did the same thing. Um, how do we? I expect England to. I personally expect England to sort of revert back to their their starting lineup for the first two matches against Colombia. What's the uh, the foresight for this one, Alex? Um, England five nil. I mean, can't expect anything <laughs> less, really, can you? Um, <laughs> no, I think honestly, God, I think it'll be a very tight game, um, and it's just one of those as well that you could see England losing quite easily. Just with the reputation they've got. Oh, here we go. Oh no, the pessimism started now. I thought it was coming home. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a realist, guys. Come on, let's, let's be serious about this. No, because that's the thing. I've said this that it's become a bit of a joke now because all the attention hasn't really been on England and having the best squad, and they've they've started well. Um, they've. I don't think that people are expecting them to do that well. Do you know what I mean? So I think this whole coming home propaganda, it's all a bit of a farce, a bit of a joke. And people are kind of taking the mickey a bit. But in the back of their yeah. mind, they're also thinking, oh, there is actually a slight chance they could progress, but we'll see, we'll see kind of thing. So mm. they've got the squad. They have got the players to get through. James Rodriguez having an injury clad over him is obviously a big blow for, yeah. for Colombia. It's a World Cup, though. I can see him still hobbling out there and giving it a go no matter what because he's mainly he's their main main threat I'd say so I hope England get through they've obviously got an easier route to the final now so that's got to be in the back of the mind um, yeah yeah and best that, game we that, ever lost to be honest yeah no 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 <laughs> no from the perspective of this World Cup it um it is and there's no doubt about it because the side of the draw that Belgium are on is littered with all the big nations um, and England have really come up against all the, the minnows of uh, international football on their side of the draw. So if they can get through Colombia in this match, they've sort of got a much easier run to the to the final. But we say easier, it's not going to be easy at the World Cup. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, Bryce, what's what's your take on, on that situation with Colombia and England? I just, look, I can see it being very cagey. I can see, I just don't think it's going to be free-flowing football, unfortunately. Um, but... Yeah, so that, that 1-0 loss to Belgium, I just don't think we can read into it too much, in all honesty. Plenty of changes and people getting some game time and kind of resting a lot of people, so I'm not really looking too far into that. But I just think it's it's just hilarious, the English fans. It's it's all looking towards the next game. We're like, oh, who are we playing in the quarters rather, rather than this round of 16 game? But um, I think this is going to be a serious test for them. I think Colombia, although they haven't been, you know, setting the world alight so far. I think they present a real test with their pace and energy, especially in the, the um, final third. Um, you know, Falcao's got himself on the score sheet now, so he's got some confidence. But I think the biggest thing to look out for in this game is going to be uh, James Rodriguez and if he has an impact or not. And then if to see if Sterling can find some form because I think he's been very underwhelming so far this tournament as well. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Obviously, Harry Kane's in massive, in great form, but Sterling's been a bit hot and cold. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs, no doubt about it. All right. Um, obviously, it's been a few days now, moving on. Just It's been a few days now since Australia uh, got knocked out of the World Cup. And of course, we haven't released a podcast for a few days as well. So we'll touch on it very briefly. But just the initial wash-up from the, the Socceroos failure at this World Cup. Bryce, I'll start with you. Yeah, look, I think failure's the right word. We said it. Before, if they don't, you know, if they don't win a game in the group stages, then it's it's got to be a failure, and it is. We got one point, extremely disappointing. I mean, we all watched it together, and it was that was just the 
the kind of mood was just disappointing. And I think we can play all this nice football and everything, but we're just toothless up front. Um, yeah, and it was, I think starting Urich was the wrong decision, in my opinion. I think you've got a, a he's a guy who's carrying an injury um, from his club football at FC Luzerne in Switzerland. And it's why are you starting a guy that's carrying a knock in such an important game? Why not chuck Jamie McLaren on? And then Cahill finally came on, gave all the fans what they won in the final 10 minutes, almost scored, but didn't quite get to Bayich's cross. So just for me, it's just very disappointing. And it's, yeah, not great, is it? Yeah, I suppose, aside from the analysis of the match, what do you reckon going forward from a footballing perspective, Australia need to need to do under Graham Arnold as, as an alarm goes off in the background there? <laughs> yeah, my bad boy. That's me again. I've done that a couple times now. Um <laughs> Uh, that's a fine. Uh, I just think the biggest thing for me is we need to, I think maybe not from Arnold's department, but just from grassroots and kind of junior football, we need to encourage more attacking-minded players um, that have that I mean, like that goal instinct. I know instinct, you can't teach it, whatever, but I think more emphasis needs to be placed on creativity, imagination and goal scoring because um, we seemed quite robotic in the final third and really lacked that initiative. So I think it, even at junior and club level, we really need to start you know, looking at that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Bryce, because there's some famous footage of Mark Viduka, um around the 2014 World Cup in Brazil or just after and he sort of touches on the fact that after Tim Cahill, and he said it back then four years ago, that after Tim Cahill, he doesn't know where the next you know, goal scorer is going to come from and that sort of read its head once again. Um, but you said promoting, you, you also touched on promoting um, attacking minor players at a, at a youth level. What what type of players do you think that Australian football coaches nowadays promote? Do they promote the defensive-minded sort of centre-back or, you know, negative play? Is that sort of a common thread, do you think? Uh, I wouldn't say negative play. I just think the biggest thing for me is you kind of, well, my experience in junior football and everything, it's you kind of you get bollocks for trying the flicks and trying a bit of flair by most coaches at junior level i think there's a kind of attitude towards it that it's keep it simple um don't waste the ball don't make mistakes kind of thing but that kind of has in turn created a stigma towards being you know trying a bit of flair and being attacking minded in that sense not attacking full stop but just trying the flicks and trying something a bit creative and outside the nine dots something that brazil do you know so amazingly that kind of you know plays a bit i think it, there's a stigma towards it in um in australia no um, especially I, at the junior level yeah i do agree actually you know from my experience playing as a kid as well like it's definitely something you sort of to get the job done almost it's sort of that mentality don't don't be too flashy and that sort of stuff so and we played at the highest level of course as well yes, so i mean this is did. gospel this is pure oh, well. we both played at junior level all our lives so it's like we've experienced <laughs> yeah, that no. but um yeah yeah hopefully that change happens for the sake of Australian football and goal scorers can be bred. We need um, more blokes like Arzani. That's what this that's what Australia needs. Yes. Let's hope it let's hope it all goes goes to plan over the next four years and we get one. All right. Do you want to um do you want to go into a little who am I, Bryce? I know you yes. you've, you've got one prep there for us. And I know this isn't the right um the right intro for it, but I guess it is a little bit of trivia here on the Shooting Zars World Cup podcast. <laughs> Trivia <laughs> gets me every time. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Off you go, man. Uh, all right. Who am I? I'm one of Japan's most iconic players to ever play the game. I was an amazingly talented attacking midfielder who rose to prominence during the early to mid 2000s in the Syria 
with Perugia, Roma, Bologna, Fiorentina, and most notably with Parma. Uh, in 2005, I moved to the Premier League with Bolton Wanderers to play under the legendary Big Sam for one season and then retired and arguably at my peak of professional football, aged just 29. I was a massive trendsetter during my day and was known for my eye, uh, for my ever-changing hairstyles and fashion. I played in the 2002-2006 World Cup, uh, playing seven games across two tournaments, and Pele named me in his FIFA 100 top living footballers during that time. Who am I? Oh, mate. Oh, who is this? Oh. <laughs> got to think of the Japanese players that have played in Italy. There hasn't been too many notable ones. He's, I, he's in my eyes, the most famous Japanese player of all time. Well, I know Shinji Ono played. I'm oh, not Shinji Ono. Um, case Honda played for Milan recently. Um, yep. Can you repeat some of the, the the facts for me there? There was a few. Can you name the um, club played, for me again? He, he played for Bolton, um, and he played for. We you would definitely have watched him when he was at Bolton. Uh, we were about ten, ten, eleven. Uh, he played for Roma, Bologna, Fiorentina, Parma, and Perugia. Hmm, who is it? Can't uh, wait to get butchered for my pronunciations of all those Italian names by our listeners, by the way. Can't wait. I think I've got it, actually. Uh, oh. Maybe can I hear you typing away, Stu? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, can, I can remember uh, Junichi Inamoto. I'm not sure this is the oh, right you pay for the Gunners. Yeah, it is. That's the... Unfortunately, that's, that's all I can... Get at this stage, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to let me down nicely here, mate. Oh well, I wish we could ask Al, but he's gone big time and had to leave us for training, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He has. I am Hitotoshi Nakata. He was a fantastic player, a real attack-minded midfielder, um, and really put Japan on the map in terms of modern football in my eyes. So he, yeah, he was amazing to watch as a kid. I used to like um, I used to like Inamoto because he always used to have colour. Oh hair. yeah, he always. Yeah, no. Nakata was kind of the same, changing his hair. So he's kind of like that David Beckham of Japanese football, really, and around the same time as well. Right, there you go. That was a bit of, bit of who am I for you on the Shooting Zars World Cup podcast. Um, First one we haven't got. I, look, it, I completely, completely missed that one, but anyway. Um, righty, Bryce, I think we'll leave it there for this one. That's been episode eight of the Shooting Zars World Cup podcast from a few different locations, of course. Um yeah, we'll be back over the coming days, Bryce. Thanks for being here, mate. No worries, mate. Absolute pleasure. But one thing I will note is just how good has Maradona been this tournament? Yeah, he's been um, on some serious, uh, serious. <laughs> he's quite a, quite serious a something. Yes. Uh, yeah, Alex will be back with us as well. He's had to rush off to training, but uh, I'm Stuart Marshall, and that's been uh, episode eight of the Shooting Zars World Cup podcast. Here comes Tim Kane.